Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, if this is the first time you've heard this podcast, let me just give you a little bit of expectation. See, me and Ben are going to ramble on a little bit about some tr- some cars, some cool cars and some not-so-cool cars. Wait, they're both kind of cool. Um, ben, as I struggle to ramble on any further, why yeah, don't you I can you tell see the, the rambling has already started. <laughs> <laughs> why don't you tell the listeners some of the publications that you've written for lately, and then I'll take a breath and tell them about um, where they can find my work. Ben, you, go ahead. You can find my stuff at Driving Line, Super Street, Automobile Magazine. <laughs> okay. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as autoguide.com and its YouTube channel. So, Ben, we've got a pretty incredible car to talk about this week. And that's all you, man. This is the Subaru WRX STI S209. There's too many letters and numbers in all well, they of this. Actually, they took three of those letters out. It's just the STI S209. I don't think they used WRX in the official name. So that's is that a thing. Is that possible? I thought yeah. the WRX STI is like, that's the thing. No. So that saves you okay. a few consonants. Uh, Perfect. But it is an interesting car. I drove it yesterday, and the car is cool for a couple of reasons. It's the first time. Any S-Line Subaru has come to the United States, and an S-Line Subaru is a car that is not manufactured by Subaru, but actually counts STI, the Subaru Technica International, as the manufacturer of that car. Mm-hmm. And this is um, something that's not uncommon in Japan. They've built like 13,000 STI-branded vehicles since 1998, when STI officially became their own division. Uh, mm-hmm. And the STI operates, uh, they have a totally different facility. I think it's about an hour drive from the uh, Gamma facility where the tra- Subarus are traditionally built. But what they've done f- for 2019 in bringing this car to America, and it's only coming to America, which is in itself something that's unique for the S-Line, they've cool. had to homologate it, Sammy, for the U.S. market. And okay. uh, you know what that means, right? You, you maybe tell people what that process is like because it's not simple if i understand correctly they need to make sure it meets all the standards required for um sale in the u.s market which includes crash tests and fuel safety fuel uh, emissions right yeah everything absolutely everything that any car company there's there's no exceptions anymore for small volume car companies so uh, and that normally sounds like an easy thing when you've got the base of a an sti but when the, the S209 is a completely different thing, right? Like, it's completely built by them in a different way. And for them to make a limited limited edition car and put it through all those tests, it must be kind of expensive, it right? costs It costs millions and millions of dollars. And okay. even doing something like widening the track of a vehicle and adding larger tires to it means mm-hmm. it has to be crash tested again. Uh, a lot of that wow. stuff, it has implications that go far beyond just performance. So... The, this is made all the more interesting by the fact that that 209 in the name is the number of cars they're going to build. Oh, that's it. That's it. And they're all coming to the United States. We don't have pricing yet. There's no information that's come out. But I want to remind you that the last special edition STI was the Type RA. And the Type yeah. RA cost $49,800 something. So this version of the car, I don't know how much higher than fifty grand they can go for an STI, but they might have to go a little bit higher, and then you have dealer markup, and then you have the fact that there are 600-some-odd Subaru dealers in the United States and only 209 cars coming. Um, it's it's a huge... It's, it's, it's a logistical 
I wouldn't say nightmare, but it's it's definitely something new for Subaru of America. All the previous S201 through S208 versions of the STI were sold exclusively in Japan. Wow. This time... That's, that's even crazy. To me, that's even crazier, too, is that there's so much of an appetite for the uh, S9 vehicles that they've had all these special edition vehicles uh, over the years. And we are just getting... In North America, we're getting our first taste of it and only 200 of them. Well, you know, the the reason for that, I think, is po- possibly homologation costs. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not cheap. Uh, the other reason why these cars are coming to the United States, and they're just the United States. Like, Japan won't get any, and that's a first for, for STI as well. Sorry, but, and Canada won't get any either. No, Canada won't get any either. It's exclusive to the American market. But uh, Matsuo Takatsu was the, the, was the general manager for the, the BRX STI when it was redesigned for 2014-2015. Um, he's moved over to be the GM at STI. Now and when he was working exclusively with the WRX, he realized there's this huge enthusiast culture for the car in America. Well, and, duh. I well, mean, sorry. <laughs> well, no, you say it like that, but they didn't know that it would be profitable uh, to the point that it's become. They didn't know that if they could take something like the S two hundred nine and sell it successfully in the United States, he had to push STI and Subaru as the parent um, in the in the entire uh, relationship. To realize that, yeah, you can make money doing this. It's going to be possible. It's something we should take a risk on. It's something we should, you know, throw our weight behind in terms of spending the money to get it legal for the United States. Wow. It sounds like a huge undertaking. And um, you know what? I'm sure that uh, a lot of Subaru enthusiasts are very excited that the S-Line vehicles are finally here. But I'm not sure that everyone is quite familiar with the S-Line vehicles. In fact, I'll be honest, before I saw it in... Um, new, the New York Auto Show, I really didn't have much of an indication of what these S-Line vehicles were. To me, like epic Subarus, um, I know the 22B, and I think that's about it. Um, well, the, it's, it's again, uh, there's, S-Line can mean a lot of things. There's just mm-hmm. been 13,000 of these cars built, as I mentioned earlier. But for the STI, for the, the, I can only speak to the 2019 model, which is the one that I, I drove, and the one that I think is perhaps the single best track version of the STI I have ever piloted. Uh, the, the best way I can put it is Subaru has taken the STI platform, which we've talked about in the past as being an older platform. I mean, this is a car that still has hydraulic steering. This is a car that on the street, it's kind of crashing, banging over bumps. It's a very stiff car. It has rally car roots. And it's 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 like they took a car that's a tuning car and turned it into a race car. And a lot of that comes from STI's experience with endurance racing, which is really where the focus is for Subaru right now in the motorsports world. They don't okay. they don't do World Rally Cross anymore because no. regulations changed. The cars had to have a shorter wheelbase. The the only car they had that would have made it uh, that would have been competitive would have been the BRZ. But they, uh, WRC would not allow them to install an all-wheel drive system. So they were like, okay, we're not going to do that. They still do Rallycross, but really they've been going towards things like the Super uh, Taikyu series in Japan and the 24 Hours of Nürburgring, and they've been building touring sedans. And they've finally taken all of that knowledge and acumen and applied it to the STI street platform. Wow, okay. So we're talking what is usually a rallying vehicle and now being done up for the street and for the track. Tell me how much of a, an undertaking that is. Is it as easy as just changing the suspension and being like, well, there you go, or changing the tires and that's it? No, because like, unlike the STI, this car isn't just an Impreza where they put a bunch of performance stuff on it and called it a day. This <laughs> is a thoroughly engineered race car solution. 
And okay. so you have a suspension system that is designed to do one thing, and that is to make the car feel more immediate in a high-performance situation. So you okay. have uh, draw stiffeners front and rear, which uh, you won't find. You can buy them aftermarket from STI, but these are tuned specific to a unique uh, coil spring they have on this car and unique well actually the coil springs are from STI but it has unique Bilstein dampers it has okay. unique programming for the SI drive as well um, okay. interesting the, 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 the draw stiffeners they, they allow for less body roll but they also keep the suspension better planted uh, at all times when you're on the track. It it allows for a much quicker turn-in. And this car, as an all-wheel drive car, I mean, you've said in the past that you find that the STI is a vehicle you kind of have to manhandle around the track. Is that correct? Yeah, that's exactly how I feel about it. It's not. I'm not to say that it's not fast or fun, but it it, it fights you through every step of this, the way. It makes you know, it makes you feel like you're doing something every single time and there's other cars that make you feel like you're you're the hero that you guys work together or the there's some cars that make themselves their presence known like say like a gtr for example they have all this technology that just says we're going fast through this line here we're going fast through this line here put your foot down and just hold on and the wrx was never really that way it felt more like uh like a like a mustang sorry like a horse that you'd have to hold on to every once in a while to control um Tell me that that's changed now. Yeah, it's all completely gone. It's absolutely nothing what? like that. It feels this is a very forgiving car in the sense that um, it, it's very responsive to your inputs, but it doesn't punish you if you make a mistake. There, there are some sections. I, I went to a track called Palmer Motorsports Park, which is a track I have a few hundred laps at because I often go there with uh, with my Datsun, and I used to go there with with a few other cars that I had. It's in Massachusetts, and it's a nice track that's carved kind of out of a mountain. Uh, this whis- place called Whiskey Hill. And it has a very long front straight punctuated by a back half of the course that goes up and down elevation-wise with a few fast areas mixed in. And on this track, you can make mistakes with braking, and there's a few areas where you carry a lot of speed and you have to scrub it off. What I was impressed by with the car is the turn-in, as predicted by the specs on the suspension system, is incredible. But when you brake hard and get the car out of sorts, it doesn't punish you. It was very easy to rein it back in um, when you when you overcook things a little bit going into a braking zone. And that's not something that I have experienced in past versions of the STI, uh, which was not necessarily a car that I would associate with the word finesse. And uh, the, 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 there's a few other interesting things about this car in terms of suspension design. It, it rides on 19 by 9 BBS aluminum alloys. Dunlop okay. developed a tire um, um, specifically for this car. And that car, it, it, even though it's riding on 10 millimeter lower springs from STI, the tire is tall enough that it's the same height as a regular STI. But what's neat is they put a carbon fiber roof panel on the top, and that weight reduction lowers the center of gravity of the car two millimeters. Okay. <laughs> so it's like it's lower, but it's not lower, which is which is kind of cool. It, it also has uh, aero from the Type R. It has the same rear wing, which is about 42 pounds of downforce on the trunk. It has canards up front and an undersplitter, and it has a slightly wider body. So you, I wasn't driving fast enough to really experience any aero. Um, the fastest on that track at the end of the front straight, you're going about 116 miles per hour. But uh, it has a top speed of around 165 miles per hour. So there is a potential okay. to experience that aero if you want to. Interesting. Okay. And I find it so intriguing to describe that this is a car that works with you now and feels so much smoother on the track is it all and it also feels this well on the street or is it too stiff to no it's it's not too stiff it's much better than a regular sti on the street it's quieter even with all that arrow hanging off of it Mm. and uh it, it just feels smoother all around it's a more it's a better developed car 
what what else I liked about the car is you know in the past we've really complained about especially BMW's M division where if you want access to the sporty profile of a car you have to push a button or go into a menu system or yeah you know how much I hate this I think a, a car bun- should be in its best form from the get go yeah you have to change in, instead of having to go in and change a bunch of settings or remember a bunch of settings that you like this car comes in one spec. This, okay. The engineers at STI have determined what the best version of this car is. And yeah, it still has the adjustable center differential and it still has sport sharp and sport mode and eye if you want. But in terms of the suspension tune, it doesn't have an adaptive suspension. It has what you get from the factory. And I think that's really refreshing. And it also just speaks to the confidence that STI engineers have in terms of what they feel they, they're offering with this particular chassis package. Um. What the engine hasn't changed too much. The engine actually has changed quite a bit. Um, oh, okay, my mistake. Sorry, well, I was looking at the numbers and they don't look too dramatically different. It's three hundred and forty-one horsepower, which mm-hmm. is what thirty-one more, I guess, than the stock STI. And that's yeah. because you get you have a larger turbo from HKS. Uh, it's putting out eighteen point nine pounds of boost, which I think is about three pounds more than the uh, other turbo. They have larger fuel injectors, and they have a different uh, f- different intake system and a different exhaust. Um, it's the same EJ25 that we've always gotten from, from Subaru yeah. in the United States. You get a two liter in, in Japan, right? Mm. But it's a two and a half liter here. It's a semi-controversial decision. This, this engine is very old. Uh, yeah. but the, the line from Subaru is always, okay, Americans like more torque. So we give them the two and a half liter. I don't know how accurate that is, but that's the reasoning for, why this motor is still in this car it borrows a lot of the features from the two liter internally but it's still the ej25 that we know love have come to grudgingly respect um the car also has cast pistons instead of forged pistons because they had a quality issue with the forged pistons under extreme long-term duration testing wow that's that's a definite that's like a concrete um, example of you know the the endurance motorsports that they've been a part of, right? So, well, it, it could be. It, it might also be a supplier issue, but oh, in, okay. in any case, <laughs> in any case, what's happened is the 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 car is coming with cast pistons that they 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 feel they're very confident in these because they did the same testing with these pistons and had no problems. But I mean, if you care about that kind of thing, if you're thinking you're going to feed a ton of boost into this engine, that's something you might want to consider. Although I don't know how many people are going to purchase a special edition STI S209 and then modify the crap out of it because it might be the kind of car you buy in park or the kind of car you just enjoy for the package that it is. Ouch. Um, Okay. That doesn't sound great. I don't want to. I mean, a high performance vehicle like this to just put away, like, I guess it's not like a, a hypercar or a supercar, which is already worth so much money. But it's incredibly low volume, right? So I think that that yeah. might be the mentality of some people. Um, another another mechanical difference in the drivetrain, uh, aside from the S drive, SI drive being reprogrammed, is the there's a, a short shifter for the six-speed manual. It only comes with the manual, obviously. Okay. Um, it's 10% shorter throws. I did not like it because I often found myself hitting fifth gear instead of third gear. It's not clear where the gates are. And when you have a shorter throw, you have less chance of <laughs> it's, it's easier to act, make a mistake, right? Mm-hmm. So even even on the street, both the street and the track, I would often go from like fourth to fifth when I was going for third, and uh, I never really went from second to fifth, so that's good. But anyway, 
Uh, on the downshift, I ended up in fifth a few times and I ended up lugging, and uh, it's a little embarrassing, I guess. But uh, it happens. It happens. Um, that's an interesting change. I mean, again, I need to ask you just one more time. When you take it into a corner and you feel the drivetrain through the wheel kind of like fighting at you, trying to either you know adjust its power um, delivery to whatever wheel needs it, that was one of the most interesting things about driving uh, a WRX on the track. Is, it, is, is that feeling gone or still there? Or no, it's still it, there because you still have the adjustable yeah. center differential, right? So you can auto have it send auto, auto torque to – you can either manually set up how much torque you want going to the front and the rear or you can have it automatically bias front, automatically bias rear or just keep it in regular auto, which lets it figure out what would be best. Okay. If you, if you bias towards the rear, which I would recommend in this car, you can have the rear of the car skate a little bit when you're coming out of a high-speed corner and move to the outside of the corner in a very predictable way. Cool. And I, I found that to be a pleasant way to drive the car. And it kind of dials out some of the understeer you might expect from a an all-wheel drive vehicle on a racetrack. The only places where I felt the car push would be on very tight uphill um, corners. Interesting. When, okay. you're, when you're on power and you're trying to stay snugged in close close to the apex of the corner, but when you don't really have a great line into the corner and it, it might be a throwaway to set you up for the next corner, those are some areas where there was a bit of push. Other than that, it, the car felt very transparent in terms of what was happening with the chassis. I was never shocked by how it reacted. And as I said earlier, it's very forgiving. Okay. Um how much more expensive do you think this thing will be? You said it's, the last one was fifty. Well, the lat the Type RA was fifty. I don't know. I mean, how much can you ask for an STI? Can you ask sixty thousand dollars? That seems like a lot of money for a car like this. It also seems like a bit of a swan song for it. Do you think there's going to be another STI with this generation, or do you think it's time to for the new platform? Well, I think new- the new the new car is coming for the twenty twenty one model year. This car is a twenty nineteen, and mm-hmm. even though it's not on sale yet, it's still a very late twenty nineteen because they've all been built. Okay. Like they're all out there already, serial numbers, etc. So they can't really do much about that. But uh, in that way, it kind of is a goodbye to the current generation STI, I think. it's. It, I don't know if they're going to do an S210 for 2020. Seems unlikely. But if they need to make more money to justify the expense of bringing this car over, maybe they will. Um, okay, now tell me what it's like to take a vehicle this this powerful and capable and I guess a little bit more high tech than what you're used to taking onto the track on a familiar landscape is there anything you can talk about there well, i mean you feel the weight of the car compared to what i normally <laughs> yeah. drive uh, i mean you usually drive like a like a soapbox car around a soapbox derby car around the track right so it's it's you you feel the weight of the car in the sense that there's more body roll and uh mm-hmm. it takes longer to break and also you can't you can overtax the braking system much more easily with you a, a heavier car, like car for sure uh also you notice that it's on a street tire and uh, you have reduced limits as a result of that, particularly in high-speed corners, but also under braking. Uh, it's it's always – there's nothing you can really do about that. That's tire compounds are going to tire compound. So um, it's – those would be the main differences. I mean I've driven very heavy cars on this track before, so you notice that it, it's, it's a similar experience. But uh, – it's the car is fun. I'm not, you know, it's it's obviously not going to drive like a Miata, but it's not looking to give you a Miata-like experience. It's looking to give you an all-wheel drive sedan kind of, I guess you could call it a <laughs> world touring global world touring car type of type of uh racing feel, I guess. Interesting. Um, 
And it's it's has the all-weather capabilities, too. I mean, everything else that you would expect from a regular Subaru is still present in the S209. It just happens to be way better on a racetrack. What do you think? I mean, I know you said this might be, like, stashed away by some owners, but, I mean, some Japanese sports cars are not um, appreciating as well or as quickly as, as other vehicles in the market. Do you really think this will be... Like, if you knew somebody who bought this, would you tell them to hold on to it, or would you tell them to drive it through each season like a Subaru? Uh, I don't, I don't think anyone should. should hold on to a modern car, but um, I just think that the people who would hold on to this are just people who collect these. I mean, if you have mm-hmm. S201 through S208, you're probably going to want this too. Cool. <laughs> uh, anything else you want to add about this uh, very you know limited production run vehicle? No, it's it's just interesting. One of the things I had mentioned to you uh, before the podcast is in our business, we often get to drive cars multiple times because they, you know, we go to the launch or there's a press event and then we come to the fleet, our local fleet there. They have them there. And then maybe there's another press event a few years down the road or later in that year. This kind of car is probably the only time I'll ever drive it because there are only going to be 209. They will never end up in a press fleet. And the cars that we drove at this event were all serial number zero. So they're all going to be crushed. They're, they're not wow. actual production vehicles. I mean, they're production quality, but we were never told pre-production. I mean, this is, this is what you're going to get. But they're not vehicles that will ever be sold. So it's, uh, it's a unique experience to have that kind of, that kind of drive. Do you think somebody uh, fan enough who's already got, let's say, a 2015 to 2018 um, WRX STI will look at this? Look at all the parts they're adding to it and then just add those bits in to it and say, I've got more or less an S209. Some of those things you could maybe do. Some of them you can't. Yeah. You, won't, you won't be able to do the engine stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, unless course. you spend we'll... a lot of – well, if you want to spend a lot of money. I mean you can um, stick that – you can stick that better, bigger turbo on it. And, you know, yeah, but you, you, won't have the, you won't have the S208 valves and springs and yeah. all that stuff inside. And you won't have the fuel injectors and – I mean, I don't know if HKS makes the turbo available. It's just oh, – one more thing uh, I forget to mention, actually, speaking of the turbo. The car comes with an uh, an intercooler water spray kit. So uh, there's paddles on the steering wheel, and you can hold down on them, and it will spray water on the intercooler and cool things down. It was, okay. only, it was only about 77 degrees on the track when we were driving, so I didn't really see a performance benefit from it. Mm-hmm. But on a really hot day, you might actually – there might actually be a benefit. That's interesting. Would you prefer a car do that itself, or would you that was my thought? To- <laughs> you know what? If, if I was in competition, yeah. I wouldn't want to have to think about it. I'd want it to be like if I was on a track and I knew that there was like a fifth gear section that's going to be really fast for X duration. I would wa- want to have the ECU automatically spray when I'm in fifth gear. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. But for an amateur driver, it's not going to matter. I mean, you're probably going to be comfortable using the paddles yourself. I guess that's a throwback or a callback to its its motorsports um, d- lineage huh? in some way or another. Well, I mean, definitely a lot. But I mean, you know, intercooler sprays are nothing new, but it is interesting to see it on a production car. Absolutely. Um, okay, it's my turn. I get to talk about a car. Are you ready, Ben? I'm so excited to hear all of your beautiful words. Okay, I've got a 2019 Ford F-150 Platinum Diesel. Is Platinum Diesel like... Like... Uh, yeah. <laughs> Like, you know that Centurion card you could get from American Express, where it was like yeah. a black card? Black is that, card, is yeah. a Platinum Diesel kind of like the card that, like, Lindsay Lohan would use at the Chateau I mean, Marmont? Platinum Diesel or Marmont? Diesel Platinum. I mean, I think they could have used Diesel Platinum, but I think that's the name of a fragrance. Um, 
No, Diesel Platinum is the name of uh, Vin Diesel's subscription-only Instagram service. Yeah, that's right. Hey, um, speaking of, okay, completely off topic. Yeah, did you me. know Jeremy Renner had his own private social network? <laughs> what? Do, how does that work? It was for his fans. And you could you could join this network and you would post things about Jeremy Renner because of course you would. And you would earn points. And um, if you earned enough points, you could trade them in for like Jeremy Renner experiences. Where <laughs> yeah. What's a Jeremy Renner experience? Um, it's you could like have him, I think he would call you and leave you or like give you an answering machine message or something. But what what happened? It was it was basically a fan app. Yeah. Right. Uh, but what happened was a ton of of trolls <laughs> infiltrated his network to the point where he pulled the plug on the entire uh. thing. Yeah, it was called Jeremy Renner Official. <laughs> um, well. Anyway, so it was launched way back in 2017. So this stuff has been out there a long time. There was a stealth world of Jeremy Renner social media that I had no <laughs> idea about. And it lasted more than two years before it self-destructed. Anyway, people who liked it, I mean, I guess they were really into it. It, it Fans seemed to really enjoy it. Um, there, are, there are other people who have, like, apps like this. Like, Paris Hilton had one. Yeah. Uh, Amber Rose had one. It's just kind of strange. Anyway, so the idea of a Vin Diesel social network, I think it's something that whose time has come. Back okay, to automobiles. Yeah, I mean, I take a Vin Diesel one or or, or uh, Dwayne Johnson one easily, right? Of course. Um, what, was, what was I talking about? Uh, something about the platinum diesel. Oh, the F one fifty. This is a twenty nineteen model vehicle. It's an answer to um, the last Ram Eco Diesel. I say that because when the twenty eighteen model year F one fifty came out with this Power Stroke diesel, it's a three liter. Uh, turbo diesel, it makes uh, 250 horsepower and 440 pound-feet of torque. Both of those numbers were just um, a pretty decent jump over the last Eco Diesel that had come out. I think 10 horsepower and 20 pound-feet. But just recently, a 2020 Ram uh, Eco Diesel has come out and has won up those numbers even further with 260 horsepower and 480 pound-feet of torque. No, nonetheless, I mean, an F-150 with with 440 pound-feet of torque is a lot. It's definitely um, enough to experience. And I, I I mean, one of the things that is worth talking about with this new F-150 Platinum trim level is just how quiet and smooth it was. And you just don't expect that in a pickup truck these days. But maybe we should. We really should. Um, they're getting... What, what does the, what does the engine sound like when you're standing beside the hood? I, I didn't do that i didn't i didn't turn the engine on and walk outside uh and you call yourself a professional if i remember correctly it had engine start stop and i couldn't um hear it while i was outside the vehicle because of that reason nice save nice save i will admit there is an issue with trucks um like this the model i had uh it came out to sixty nine thousand dollars oh my goodness (laughs) what that's u.s yeah, U.S. $69,000. So how much fuel would you have to save with a diesel truck to justify the insane expense? Well, how much of that is – how much of that price is the engine? The engine is a – I believe it's $3,000. Let me just double check here. Okay. Well, that's not too um, crazy. So that means the rest of the 66000 was the platinum? Yeah. 
uh, $3,000 is the uh, diesel. It's an all-wheel drive model. Um, I got a, uh, a, a large moonroof and a wheel well liner and box side steps. Um, and what else can we tell you about over does the, here? Does all-wheel drive mean no low range? What does that mean? Uh, no, I've got uh, – I've got – Sorry, not all-wheel drive. Come on, man. Four-wheel drive. I'm sorry. Wait, you're uh, chastising FX, me? I didn't the say The FX4 <laughs> off-road package as well. Um, and so that means it had – yes, it is the four – it's a four-wheel drive model. It has uh, four high, four low, and a electronic, electronically locking rear differential as well. I was impressed with just how much luxury elements have become um, – available in these vehicles but i have to also say i wanted to um do a little bit of you know truck stuff i was helping my sister move with this um vehicle and the model that uh ford had given me has the small box the four and a, the, the five and a half foot um bed and it seems like that's just the go-to when um you are getting a press vehicle and i wonder what the what the mindset is for the automaker when it comes to sending us a, a vehicle to test i mean you you just gave a little bit of a peek behind the curtain there's sometimes we test vehicles um more than once and almost every time i've driven a pickup truck that wasn't a um a heavy-duty model, I would get the smallest box possible, the biggest cab possible, and load it to the gills with all kinds of features. $69,000 and a completely, I, I don't want to call it unusable, but it isn't the most useful bed. It seems like a waste of time on, on even on my end. I mean, I found it uh, limiting in that in that regard, right? Of course. I mean, these trucks are most of these trucks aren't being used for hauling, and anyone who needs serious hauling is going to have to. It's really tough if you want a crew cab. Because I, once you start adding bed length, it becomes very awkward to park that vehicle anywhere. If I mean, if you live in a city, right? I just think that they're they. I felt limited by by what Ford had offered me, and I don't want to. I don't want to criticize them heavily, but I really think that there should be more opportunities for auto journalists to drive base level vehicles. Uh, and different configurations of um, the box and cab. Well, but they they want to they want you to drive what they want to sell, and they want to sell high end vehicles that have <laughs> a higher profit margin. A seventy thousand dollar truck. Yeah, and you know what's interesting is that's not even the most expensive F one fifty because <laughs> no, above the platinum not. you have the limited, the limited, which only comes with the new uh, eco uh, eco boost um, gas engine. I believe you can't get the turbo diesel with that. I, I want to add. You know, I have driven some base-level vehicles, and I was pleasantly surprised by them as well. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I drove um, a Subaru Ascent that had no options whatsoever, and it was it was a pleasant thing to drive to see and experience what are standard options and and safety equipment on a vehicle of that price point. It was just under it was just over I think thirty six thousand uh, dollars Canadian, which is super affordable, and it was it was just a good reminder of that there are cars. That don't have to be filled to the to the brim in terms of features. I know they probably want to show us all the features that the car has. Like that moonroof is simply huge in this F one fifty. It was it was stunning. And my car also had a massage seat function. Although I will admit those aren't the most useful. Um, it's a bit of a gimmick and um, something to show off to your buddies. But I don't know. Like I really do wish they I would get the opportunity to drive something a little bit more basic, a little bit less. Um, expensive because when you when you show somebody this they've they've got to roll their eyes and be like well that's not the truck i would ever purchase for myself but i think ford is selling lots of these models you, you think, think so, so? A, yes a seventy thousand dollar truck 
if, oh. Ford, if Ford wasn't selling them, they wouldn't have stopped making cars. <laughs> no, but think about it. Yes. I mean, there there's so many different um, combinations of, of options and trim levels for an F-150. I think there's like 150 um, versions of F-150 you can get. So, I mean, that's not fair to have driven – Mainly high-end versions of the truck, it feels in uh, it, it feels a little inconspicuous on on their end. You know what I mean? Like, I just think that we're not we're not getting the full F one hundred and fifty experience. I think that you know, I just tried to build an F one hundred and fifty online, and you the the largest bed you can get with the Super Crew is six and a half feet, so you're only getting another foot. Still more useful. It's still more useful than what I got. <laughs> um, okay, so anyways, I I will go back to what I'm saying. Um, F-150, still a fantastic truck if um, any of the, the reasons you buy a truck are, are legitimate. Like, it has a ton of payload. It can tow a ton. Um, I guess you want official numbers for all of this. Um, it can oh, tow don't, up to, I've been waiting oh, for them. It can tow up to 11,400 um, pounds, I believe. The payload tops out at 2,020 pounds. Um, and those are in the base XL and XLT models. Um, the regular models, you'll see, you know, a little less payload. Um, and you'll also expect about 25 miles per gallon combined, which isn't too bad. Um, it, so, it, so 25 miles per gallon combined with the diesel, what's the highway rating? Uh, 30, I believe. And is that, did Ram manage to match that with the current Eco Diesel? I don't have figures on the, I was just looking for it now. Let me take a look. Um, I imagine them being... Not too far off from each other. Um, I don't have any any figures yet for the Ram diesel. Because I know Ford made a big deal. I think Ram was at 29 miles per gallon or something like that on the highway mm-hmm. with the previous generation. And then Ford made a big deal about how they were beating them by one or two miles per gallon. Again, when you're spending $3,000 for this option, <laughs> yeah. one mile per gallon is not going to make a difference. Yeah, the new model doesn't seem to have um, EPA ratings yet. Okay. Um, I want to I want to say as much as I love um, driving these really high end vehicles, luxurious vehicles that are very smooth and well featured. Yes, they're expensive. It always surprised me at how good these trucks are. I still think the Ram is the better um, um, truck in this class. I can't wait to see what the next generation F one fifty has because I know it's going to be impressive and it's going. To, I think the Ram made a big step forward for the whole segment, and I know that Ford probably doesn't want to um, not be in the position where they're the segment leader in terms of tech, technology innovation. So I don't I think, think they are the segment leader. I think Ford's not been the segment leader for quite some time. I think when they came out with the EcoBoost, that this current generation model when it first debuted, I think was. Um, a pretty impressive leap for the um, for the segment uh, with the aluminum bed and the EcoBoost. I don't uh, think the aluminum bed matters. I mean, EcoBoost has been around for a long time. I think it, almost ten years, right? Combined helped, uh, and the amount of features. I remember, you know, blind spot monitoring and uh, and adaptive cruise control in a truck. I think that was all. Sure, but we're, uh, we're, we're talking one. about technologies that are 10 years old, you know, like the, yeah. even the previous generation Ram was a better truck than the F-150. And now there's a new generation Ram that's kind of up the ante. The interior is way nicer. The ride is way nicer. You get coil springs instead of leafs in the back if you want. It's just I don't really see Ford as a leader in anything other than other than sales. Other than sales. I think uh, the last generation Ram was getting to the level that it is now. They had a very nice interior and exterior design. But I think people were hoping the refinement would get uh, w- would be the the final 
factor, and I don't think the last generation RAM had that. This new one puts it all together. I, 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 I think it's fantastic. We are of opposing viewpoints there. I, I do think the previous generation RAM was far more refined than the F-150. That's really interesting. Um, and then there, there's people who would say that the F-150's um, confidence when, when towing and hauling are, are superior. I've talked to some of my colleagues in this regard, and I don't get to take these vehicles fully loaded um, or even close to their limits as often as I'd like to. But I've heard the F-150 can feel pretty confident when doing that, um, what it's built to do. Well, my, fa- my father just- actually has both. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the current, the previous generation RAM and previous generation F one hundred and fifty, yeah. And uh, the previous generation RAM is kind of a low spec truck, and it does not tow well. It needs, okay. it doesn't have the the towing package, doesn't have the right springs in the back. Uh, the F one hundred and fifty does tow well, but uh, power wise, they're almost identical. Cool. Um, I really like, I, but I will finish what I'm saying. The new RAM is great. I would, I would recommend that to anybody buying a truck. Um, I, I think either power, any powertrain that it offers is fantastic. Uh, I've driven the three, six and the five, seven and they're wicked trucks, man. They are so good. And just like you mentioned, they have a modern feeling ride, something that the F-150 definitely doesn't have. It can feel really choppy and uncomfortable, um, on the, on the street, which I think when it's unloaded, uh, which I think is really bizarre for a car in this, uh, for a truck in this day and age, I would love it to feel a little, if, I mean, seriously, if an SCI is feeling pretty good on the road, uh, an F-150 should be able to do that as well without compromising its capabilities. And a Ram feels great on the road and um, can feel off, great off-road as well as when uh, towing and hauling. What I'd like to see is a, a, a real p- slowdown in the amount of crazy giant styling that we're seeing on these these pickup trucks. I think they not only are modern full-size pickups big they look way bigger than they actually are i mean grills Mm. are out of control the side of the beds it's they're so tall now that how am i supposed to lift something over the side when i'm loading i mean you have to have a step in the tailgate to get into them now it's just absurd and i would rather see these vehicles become more practical it's not going to happen because these are image vehicles that are being sold to look like they're these crazy rugged world conquering post-apocalyptic rides yeah and that's just where we are style wise it's like suvs we got to suvs for no real reason other than you know people started buying them and then you kind of started compounding all the reasons why people bought them and you end up with like a caricature of where these segments started and i think full-size trucks are very much caricatures at this point oh for sure i mean even just looking into the bed isn't very easy you have to really get on your tippy toes what if someone's hiding in there with a hook for a hand (laughs) i know i'm terrible well not in the five and a half i mean maybe on the they're that um they're shorter i guess yeah or they're just Uh, (laughs) curled up because they're like really good at getting into tight spaces to seek out their victims um just just saying (laughs) i agree with you i mean have you seen these chevy and uh gmc trucks with the way their headlights are stacked up and they look insanely weird they you're like they look like caricatures and uh i think they need to to slow down on that end is, is, I there, wonder, any, is there is there anything else about uh the the f-150 you want to talk about whether it's styling or or a subtle dig at uh at where the segment's going <laughs> um i want to talk about the the first of all the interior quality is fantastic the second thing i want to talk about is the infotainment system do you really think – do you think – Ben, I'm asking you. Do you think Think, think 3 is um, good? I think it's neither good nor bad. I think it looks really plain. Yeah. Um, other than that, I don't have too many complaints. But I don't like it. I really don't like it and I don't like it uh, as a evolution of my Ford Touch, which I found uh, 
my for touch was slow. That was the biggest problem. But for me, it was easy to use. Um, and I don't like Sync 3's uh, usability. I don't think it's as easy to use. Well, it does seem somewhat more limited features-wise. Like, that's what I mean by plain. It's just the presentation is not super interesting. And uh, I don't know if Ford's going to move towards where they're going to more rely on app integration to try mm-hmm. to give you whiz-bang features. Uh, that's not so, I don't often integrate apps with my phone and the the vehicle itself i very you mean rarely... like my for like android auto and yeah Apple android Apple auto Apple, but also yeah. like even you can inter- integrate things like spotify directly with a lot of these systems now i mm-hmm. rarely do that i just leave it all on my phone but i know there are people who are into that I, if you are into that if you're the kind of person who likes exploring the integration options with your smartphone in your car we'd love to hear from you because i'm, I'm always curious about people's perspectives on that absolutely um let's finish up the podcast with that um that little comment there. If you'd like to get in touch with us, talk to us about how you use your phone in your car's uh, infotainment system, please head to our website. That's unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And while you're there, there's a contact form that you can fill out. It goes right into our inboxes. And we love hearing from you guys. Additionally, if you don't want to use the website for whatever reason, um, if you're on the go, for example, and you've only got um, a Twitter account or an Instagram account. If you only account, have one phone call you can make from county. <laughs> Uh, if you want to get in touch with Ben, he's on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Me, on the other hand, I'm on Twitter. Um, not that I love it all that much, but you can find me at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, and additionally, you can email us, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. What else can we say, Ben? You can also find all of our older podcasts on unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You don't have to just use it to get in touch with us. You can use it to listen to things we've said in the past, things that might come back to haunt us in the future. And you can subscribe to us there using whatever podcatcher you prefer. There are links to things like iTunes, <clears throat> things like iTunes Google Play. Uh, name, name some other podcasts. Spotify, of course. Spotify, of course. And uh, CastBox, all this stuff is there. You can also just search on any of those podcatchers that you are already using, and you'll be able to find us there. So uh, once again, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we look forward to hearing from you. Take care, everybody. Bye.